Finding Happy, Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy is the new book by me, Nikita Banks, a licensed psychotherapist and life strategist. Leverage the knowledge you'll receive in this book to help you with the process of obtaining absolute clarity through the use of guided self-exploration. This process is necessary to help you master all your relationships in 2019 and beyond. Go on Amazon.com or BlackTherapistPodcast.com and grab your copy of the book guaranteed to help you redesign all your relationships based on two basic principles, health and happiness. Get your copy today. Welcome to the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is a podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. Now, if you are new to our show, I am your host, author, life strategist, and psychotherapist, Nikita Banks, in private practice in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. I am available for both psychotherapy and coaching sessions, and you can find more information about that on my website, NikitaBanks.com. You can listen to our podcast everywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Pippa, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and BlackTherapistPodcast.com. If you are a mental health advocate or therapist and you want to buy our podcast merchandise, you can do so by visiting our site. And if you want access to our free mental health tips, free online trainings, discounted selective services, and resources, do so by joining our mailing list by texting "get happy" all one word to six six eight six six. If you love the podcast, please like, comment, and share. We love to hear from you. And if you want to send me some feedback, guest suggestions, or simply to say hey, you can contact us at our website, BlackTherapistPodcast.com. Please be mindful that this episode and all of the information that we provide here is just a resource and a tool to help get you started on your mental health journey. If you are feeling any mental health distress or you are having any significant issues, please feel free to reach out to us so that we can find you a mental health provider in your area. Okay, let's go. Hey guys. Okay, so uh, if you are not on my mailing list, shame on you uh, because this Thursday we're going to be doing our first workshop uh, and we're, we're really just trying to help people get clarity for their business goals for 2020 and beyond. Okay. So we are less than 60 days to a brand new decade. All right. So we want you to start doing what you can do to utilize the resources that you have around you. A la me, AKA me <laughs> to help you get uh, and hit your business goals for the next three months, the next six months to get you clarity on getting those business ideas from concept to completion. Okay. Uh, this week we will have part two of our interview with Holly Sawyer, Dr. Holly Sawyer. Uh, last week we talked about being a parent of a child with special needs, specifically parenting a child on the autism spectrum. And that was actually not why I wanted to do the interview with Holly. So I met Holly a little while earlier in this in the season when she bought one of our T-shirts and we interacted on social media. Yes, it is really me when you interact with me on social media. Yes, I answer all of my questions, my DMs and everything. Yes, it's me. It's me. So uh, she hit me up. She had a book launch that she was working on and she was like, hey, girl, when I come to New York, you know, 
here's my my New York tour dates and I went to one of her tour dates and we had an amazing time and we connected at that time and I had her on the show because I know that a lot of the work she does she does with women of color and PWCs which is well you know what because PWCs when you say that people think it's predominantly white colleges which it could be but it could also be predominantly white companies or predominantly white workspaces so I guess it would be PWWs but that don't that don't sound as good as PWC so um that's what we talk about this week on the show last week what would you do there's like no review on what would you do I asked you last week to tell me how we as a show can better support men of color who are dealing with mental health issues and men if you are listening and there are topics that you want us to cover I really want to get other men clinicians on the show men if you are a clinician on the show or if you are a clinician and you would like to be on the show I feel like I'm talking really fast I'm in a good mood right now but yeah if you want to be on the show and you there's a topic that you would like to discuss I would love to get more men on the show I've had a few come on the show this is not just a women's podcast I am a woman so I don't want to feel like I'm woman-splaining men's issues I really want more male clinicians to come on the show because your vo- your voice is so needed in this conversation especially to change narratives around how black men see mental health and you know men of color period but black and hispanic men really seek counseling and i'll say that when i work in other environments not in my private practice even though my private practice now i work with a lot of women but i will say it's probably about I'll say it's about 60, 40 with black men right now. Like you guys are coming up and you're, you are coming to, to therapy, but you know, maybe you're not as vocal. Women are a lot vo- more vocal about everything. Maybe you're not as vocal on your struggles. And we actually have a male that's coming up soon. Who's a mental health advocate. Say all of that to say, if you are a man who would like us to cover more topics geared towards men of color on the show, please let us know. And if you are a clinician of color who is a man or a male and you want to come on the show to talk about issues that are near and dear to you and populations that you serve, please come on the show. Okay, send us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com or go to blacktherapistpodcast.com. I don't know if it's slash be your guest or hit us up in the link in Instagram. It'll take you directly to the profile where you can be our guest. And if you click on the be our guest tab, it will take your information. It will take you to our production calendar and it will do our take you to our pre-show questionnaire. And that's for everybody who's listening and you want to be on the show. Okay, now I feel uncomfortable I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a, um what would they do or what would you do for this week and it makes me feel uncomfortable honestly because you know what we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about T.I. and my pretty girl Deja now I have never been a real fan of the T.I. show or the, the, I don't even know what is it T.I. and Tiny's Family Values because I used to watch Tiny and Toya's show and I, I, working in domestic violence, I won't speak on anything that I don't know. I want to say that on top because I, I don't know these people, tip nor tiny. But I do know the way the show was edited, Tiny and Toya, I got the impression that either there was a possibility of abusive um behaviors I mean she seemed very cautious about the things that she would do 
and the 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 amount of control that tip had over her even from in jail if you guys remember the show or if you know you got fire stick you can go back on line and look it up like she was tiny look shooketh a lot of the times when Toya would be like, hey, girl, let's just go out and do regular girl stuff. Your man is away. Let me keep you occupied. And like Tip would come calling the phone and like everybody in the house needed, including the dog, needed to shut up. And so I was I remember speaking to my girlfriend about it like, damn, you know, because one of my friends, she was in love with Tip at the time. And she was like, gosh, he's like controlling. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But for me at the at the time watching it, not knowing whether or not it was, a, you know, verbally abusive relationship or just a controlling situation I um it just didn't sit right with my spirits I never really watched any of the subsequent shows that came on that had to do with these people I do remember like sometimes you know you watching and washing the dishes and VH1 is on and the show come on and then you see a glimpse of the people I remember seeing Deja and then being on Instagram recently excuse me I think the daughter's name is Deja and then seeing a picture of her recently and being like, ah, she's gorgeous. Like she's really blossomed and grew into a beautiful young woman. And as a woman who did not grow up in a household with my father, but, but did feel very protected by my dad. Um, in certain cases, Initially, when the news broke of Tip going to check and see if the baby was still a virgin, was just like, oh, okay, well, she's 18. I understand. And, you know, my my initial, my initial thing was, I guess I'm just going to go into how I feel about this this week without asking. Well, I'll ask you what, what you would do or how you feel about it afterwards. But right now, I'm just going to just go into it because I don't want to talk about this no more next week. It makes me feel very uncomfortable that I'm speaking about somebody's virginity and hymens and stuff on a, a podcast. I think that's the part of it that bothered me the most. But, you know, initially, I was just like, you know what? I think it's a good thing that he's protective as a father. And he's like, if you want to be sexually intimate with my daughter you gotta go through me in order to get to her and while conceptually there's a little girl inside of me that just wants to be protected and I, you know I like being controlled a little bit my boyfriends and husbands and whoever would beg to differ you, I said boyfriends and husbands you, y'all know what I meant but <laughs> like my the people in my past and my present would be like, nah, you know, I don't know about that. Like I, to a certain degree, I do like to be protected. But the violation of trust that he told people on the, the radio and the Internet and the interwebs is that he goes and get her hymen checked that she, she doesn't feel like she could not tell him about it if she, she didn't want to. Uh, like my boundaries stuff started going and so yeah I, I, I don't know ladies if you found out that your child's father took them to get a hymen check every year around their birthday like what would your response be like how would you react to that 
ugh, just sounds gross even saying it. But like, how how would how would you feel about that? This that's who I really want to hear from. I really want to hear from the girl's mother because we know that the little girl doesn't like it. She's already commented or not commented, but liked liked some comments on social that says that her father is controlling. I don't think he gives a shit what anybody thinks about how he's raising his children. I get that. And I don't, you know, that, that is what it is. But in terms of like being able to provide this young girl with support. And I mean, she's gotten a lot of love on social media, but damn, that's a daddy. And, um, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more upset I feel about him as a man not giving her any autonomy to feel however it is that she feels and explore her feelings in that kind of way and being able to have the safety of going to dad and say, hey, dad, I'm in college. This is my first year. I met a boy. I really like him. I'm thinking about, you know, what the next steps are. Yeah, because we know what 18 year old, 17 year old, 19 year old, 20 year old boys and girls want. I mean, the girls want it too. Don't ever get it twisted that women don't enjoy sex. Shout out to you if you're a sex, um, a sex therapist and you're listening. I've been trying to get a sex therapist on this show for a really long time because I feel like sex is the only thing on this show that I haven't talked about. Like I don't pussyfoot it around it, step, step my toe in a little bit check to see if the water was warm on a certain some episodes but I really want to talk about sex let's talk about sex baby I'm sorry I can't say those words without singing shout out to salt and pepper who is probably not listening right whatever (laughs) but yeah so I mean I I, I just want to blacken T.I.'s eye to be honest with you for, for talking about that baby's virginity a source of internet fodder that's gross that part of it is is disgusting i don't i don't know how i feel about him taking her to the gynecologist i think if you were a single father you would have to take your daughter to the gynecologist so that part doesn't bother me i don't think you know having a doctor tell you if if she is or is not a virgin or not if she feels if she if she is comfortable with telling you that if she's not comfortable telling you that she shouldn't be able to tell you that but um i definitely don't like that it was discussed on the internet i definitely don't like it if she feels forced to tell him i mean hell when my son would would go to the doctor when he got a certain age i wouldn't wouldn't be going in the room with him i wouldn't i wouldn't even ask anything i would just ask the doctor is everything all right everything all right and he called me my son asked me you know he's like oh i got certain symptoms or whatever what has have you been doing have you done this have you done that is it did this and you know you gotta just be honest with me to tell me what i could fix (laughs) but i don't know i don't have a daughter i guess if i had a daughter i'd be a little bit different about it but my mother was my mother wasn't and as a teenage my mother my mother should have probably been a little bit more proactive with me but I was her second daughter so I guess she was like listen you'll tell me whatever's going on with you whenever's going on with you and I mean my, I didn't hide my virginity or lack thereof from my mother I just she asked me one day and you know I told her what she needed to know she looked at me I looked at her she left the room that was the end of the conversation <laughs> It was like, are you a virgin? Nope. 
okay bye bye that was like the end of it but um so yeah I would hope that you give your child a little bit more leeway about the sex conversation than I got but you know and again I think I told this story on the show before previously my I was I was my my virginity was was I was gonna say my virginity was bored that doesn't sound great either but um my godfather when we were like young maybe like oh nine ten eleven years old he just was like listen don't have any babies promise me you will you will finish school before you have sex and me and my stepsister my my god sister at the time was like promise and then I think maybe a year or two later he died so it was just a, a promise that we kept to him and my other god sister was not I don't think she was in in there for that conversation because she got pregnant very early or you know as she became a teenage mother but we 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 it was a promise that we made and we kept it and so I mean it was no hymen check needed or no doctor's offices needed we just he told us not to and we didn't I mean and I didn't I I hey he said no sex before you graduate and no sex before and I don't know if we kept the, the no sex thing going on but I knew by the time I did have start having sex that I, you know I needed to protect myself because I definitely didn't need no babies I didn't want any babies so that's that's that but what a way to segue we want to thank Dr. Holly Sawyer again for coming on the show um guys again if you want to engage in this conversation with me on social then you can go on the social media and talk about tip and his foolishness and ladies what would you do if you found out that that was like well what I, you know what i want to know really like i want to know what you would do if you found out that your child's father took her to the, the gyn to get a virginity check but i also want to know what would the conversation look like for you as a mother if you didn't know like what would that what would the conversation look like if when when she came home i wonder what what that would look like because there's a level of conversation that or, or a level of tact sensitivity and understanding that needed to be needs to be had with that baby about how she feels about her body and how she feels about sexuality i can say this i'm looking from looking at the pictures of her on social media she's definitely gorgeous and um, if she don't feel sexy, sexy, she should from the way she looks in the pictures and the clothing that she wears and stuff. But, um, you know, I don't I don't get some of these men. Men's is out there having sex with women's. So clearly women's is out there having sex with men's. I mean, if you out there doing it with everybody and anybody not caring about the sanctity of your marriage you got a girlfriend violating your wife on social media and all kind of foolishness you in a marriage that you ain't in and all the you you got multiple children by multiple baby mamas i mean clearly you done defiled somebody else's daughter y'all let me get out of here before i tell the truth anyway we're going to get into the second part of the interview with dr holly sawyer right now is because i know that you do work with um you do work with black women in the workplace working and work in, in white spaces yes yes and so recently i've i've you know 
one of my last shows we did was about you know that black b word at work um <laughs> that i encountered mm. and and the the lessons that i learned from that and just kind of the, the the need for sisterhood and bonding in the workplace i feel like especially in social work like social work is so touchy-feely or like mental health stuff like it's so touchy-feely you just assume that everybody that you meet along the journey is going to be your friend yes 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 and that ain't the truth that ain't the truth and so um i definitely wanted to talk about being a black woman in a white workspace. Okay. A lot of my clients are dealing, you know, a lot of my clients are dealing with uh, conflicts who with people at their workplace that are women of color mm-hmm. as well. Like, they're women of color and the other person is a woman of color. But I don't know. Like, the challenges that a lot of people face comes from being black in white workspaces. Whether it's corporate America, whether it's um, and in education, like wherever you are, and to to constantly hear this narrative of it's not okay to be black and be introverted in the workplace. Wow, I just read something like that the other day. I don't know who wrote something like that. I don't know if it was a. Where did I read that at? What did you? Might have been. I don't know. That's. What, I mean, my clients have been saying this for like just, the past I few like, weeks. When did this become a thing? Well, I'll tell you. I have a, I have I have a client who was a lawyer. She worked for a law firm and uh there was racial issues there. Wow. And part of it was majority of it was cultural like okay. and I even spoke to my mother uh, about the situation, not telling the girl's business. But um because my mother's worked at law firms all of her life. Right, right. Um and like high-powered law firms, you know, in, in DC and but I didn't understand like the cultural nuances that happens in the legal world and I have a lot of clients who are black women who are attorneys as well and so uh one of the problems okay. was that if she sat in her office with the door closed people think she's unapproachable mm. or if she didn't go out with them for drinks after work like she wasn't friendly and I've had that in my office as well. Like previously, they used to have like yoga nights and like bike rides after work. I got a kid. I've got to get home and I'm in college. I got to do my homework. I got like a life out of, outside of here. Like I got to do my nine to five and go home. Like I'm not patronizing you guys. And so I, my, my one of my best friends lectured me like, yo, you got to understand white people socialize over drinks. Business deals are made over drinks. Like, you got to be able to, like, be in it to win it. And I'm like, that's cute. But, like, when I get out of here, I just want to go home. (laughs) Yeah. And you should be allowed to. But I feel like as a black woman, you're not going to win if you're introverted. And you're not going to win if you're extroverted. So where do you show up? It's like, damn if you do, damn if you don't. Because... At the end of the day, you're right. I have a child to take care of. So am I not allowed now to, after my shift is over, to go home and be with my family? Like, where are my boundaries? Are they, they, they can be respected over me being liked? No, I'm going to go with my boundaries and damned if you don't like me. And I think navigating those spaces, you have to make, you have to make a choice on, okay, my family comes first, my boundaries, my mental health. 
and I'm not here necessarily to, you know, for you to like me, but are there other ways that you can engage in white spaces? Sure. You just have to figure out what that looks like and when and how you do it. But I don't think that if you show up to the party, that's going to make you even more likable because they'll find something regardless. They'll come up with something. So it's always a damn if you do, damn if you don't. Always. Because they'll come up with something else. They'll come up with your hair. They'll come up with your outfit. How you maybe talk or you didn't enunciate a, a word correctly. The report that you did, you got the promotion. They'll, it, they always raise the bar. So I just don't ever think that you will um, just be 100% liked by everybody in this majority white space. Um, but I do believe, though, again, you can navigate it by identifying what that looks like for you and being comfortable with it. And get you a couple white allies. I ain't trying to win everybody over in the office. I work in a majority of all white spaces. And it was uncomfortable. I actually had a panic attack on my first day of work because I had never, ever, ever in my years of working been in such an all-white office space. Um, so you're talking about out of 50 employees, you're the you're number two as far as a black female face. The other black person doesn't recognize you because they're so assimilated. They'll speak. They'll say hi. But they're not coming over to see, like, hey, how are you making out? How are you doing? Knowing that now it's another one of you in the presence. Because they could eat. They, I won't say that she felt threatened. But I'll just say she didn't make it pleasant for me either. If I was in a space where I was the only black person, I saw another one come in, honey. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna make friends, but that's me. Yeah, that's but me. No. You like uh, the the narrative behind the story that I told in the uh, the previous thing was I I felt bad for her because mm. she's a social worker. She works in in a corporate environment. I can do consulting work for there. I'm not in the office. And apparently okay. she got a raise and she was like, nobody respects my authority as this new position and whatever. Wow. I was like, did y'all send a memo out? Like nobody got, I didn't even get a memo that you got a raise, first of all. And it's not like I speak to you and the janitor or the CEO of the company any different. Like everybody is the same to me. So mm-hmm. I don't even know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Like it was really about her fighting for ego and respect and yep. her position in the workplace. And so for me as a black woman, I could totally identify with that. But I was like, but I'm not your enemy. Like I'm not who you should be no. giving all this vitriol. Um, no. And, and, and for me, I've, I've, I'm from a pro-black community. I've gone to all black schools I've had, I've grew up in a completely black community they taught us black history in school so I don't know a lot of like being in white spaces I only really truly met white people I'm sure I met white people before this but I only truly met white people for real in high school right exactly. when I moved to Alexandria Virginia <laughs> and my, my best friend when I in ninth grade was a white girl. I her name is Carol. Carol. How how white of a name is Carol? But she was my best friend in, in ninth grade until she moved away. And like that was like my first introduction of like being in a white person's home. Mm. And like getting to know white people. Mm. And so for a majority of my adult life, 
I worked in brown spaces because that's just where I felt the most comfortable. Not that I felt uncomfortable in white spaces, but it was just kind of where I felt the most comfortable. And so when I went to get my master's degree and I worked in the court system, there was my uh, field instructor was a white girl. And wow. I, being in social work school, to me, it gave me the language to put to the uncomfortableness that comes with dealing with white people, yep. like microaggressions. Yep. Like, I didn't know microaggressions were yep. a thing. Yep. So learning the language, it heightened my sensitivity to some of the behaviors. Mm -hmm. so when I went on the job interview, you know, as a 30, you know, 30 year old woman or however old I was at the time. And the girl was like, oh, you look so polished. Like it's a freaking job interview. What did you think I was going to come in here? Like dress like. So that was annoying. And wow. then there was a time like, there was it was like five of us colors in the, in the office um and me and a girl was sit was was next to each other to the the three black people that worked in this office like literally in that particular point of the office were all sitting together i wasn't like i was doing something on the computer and they were sitting behind me and she looks at at me and she calls out the other girl's name so she says shanika your groups are like your groups are here it's time to do your run your groups. I was doing group work at the time. And so Shanika and I both looked because you're looking at me. I do the group. You called Shanika's name. Ooh. So I said, did you mean me or did you mean Shanika? And she was like, I, she rolled her, her head and her eyes, put her hands on her hips and was like, I said Nikita. So me and Shanika looked at each other like, who is this talking right. to? So I caught, I caught myself and I was like, you know what? I'll be out in a minute. I'm coming right out. I got pulled in the office for insubordination. Wow. I did. Oh my God. And then she told me, she told me that I was rude and that I don't know how I present and that I need to be more mindful of my body language and stuff. So when she said that, I, like my my face reacted immediately. And she was like, look at your face. And I was like, with all due respect, what I will do is I'll be more introspective and I'll be more mindful of my body language if you be mindful of yours. Number one, you called Shanika, you called me Shanika. Two black women are not the same people as first of all. Second of all, you rolled your eyes and rolled your head as if you was going to knock if you buck. I said, third of all, I said, I go to, I said, I have a family. I go to, I go to work. I go to school. I come here. This is an internship. Okay. I said, and I paid, I said, and I paid NYU a lot of money to be here. I said, but on the totem pole of the things I have to do in my life, this is fourth. I ripped her a whole new asshole in that office because I had had enough. This was not the first time. This was, this was the mm -hmm. last time I went to school. I told my field instructor. My field instructor was like, I'm going to call right away. Don't you worry about that. I told my therapist. <laughs> my therapist was like, Nikki, you're not going to let that be win. Like, go, to, go back in there and get what you need. You just need your hours. Go in there and get what you need. 
Like if you can't do it, you can't do it. But if you can do it, you're not going to allow her to turn you away. I got home that night. No lie. I wrote her a, a email. Cause I got so when I tell you I cursed her out using the nicest words I could possibly mm-hmm. use. I pulled out every derogatory word that I could use in the English vocabulary without using the 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 words. I sent her a, a email, and it said, "I appreciate you allowing." <laughs> I don't want to laugh. I said, "I appreciate you allowing me the safe space to to express my frustration with you." I, I I really hope that we have, you know, I look forward to us having a, a better working relationship moving forward. When I got to work the next day, the white woman was like, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? I was like, yes. She was like, I really appreciated your email. I really think that you're getting it. I was like, uh-huh. No, I just I just wanted this to go away now. Like because I had said everything that I said. After that, she didn't try me no more. She didn't give me no more issues and no more problems. But that was a little glimpse of me being in white workspaces. I cannot imagine what other people go through in these environments that are not as touchy feely and friendly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um, like when she rolled her eyes and rolled her head and and put her hand on her hips, like all of the black people in the room was like, "Is this serious?" Exactly. Like we had to look at each other (laughs) and be like, "Am I seeing? Is this a mirage?" I bet. I bet. So how do you how do you advise women in the workplace to? endure this kind of environment or do you because i tell people do it get what you need what do you need yeah. for this job and like, that's what do you my need for this job you gotta mm-hmm. pay it do you pay it you, you, you gotta keep your lights off you keeping the rain off your baby's face like what do you yep. need from this and I, and I think that's my vein too because i will say this not only in my own experience but a lot of my clients experiences hr is not supportive HR would make you go through a loop and then you're still not supportive because at the end of the day, they don't want to investigate. This person may be not only the CEO, but they may have a high title. They may, they may be somebody's exactly, daughter, somebody's exactly. son. So it's like, oh no, we can't investigate. Oh no, we can't say, oh no, we can't write it. We can't do what we should normally be doing. So what I encourage people, if they, if they run a wall with HR, I, I encourage people to not have a verbal conversation, but start making a paper trail. And what I mean by that is, if somebody, you know, Caucasian male or female, because I usually have problems with white men, specifically gay white men, um, and they come for me for no reason. And so what I do... You know why they come no, for you. No, all cats... It's all a reason. First, you all know cats, why. first of all, are you confused? Did you get me confused type conversations to me? And I'm like, wait a minute, who are you talking to? Are you Exactly. Confused? We're both two licensed professionals. I don't know who you think you're talking to, but but like, but let me go ahead and, and iron you out since, since you got me wrinkled. So I will get on the email and I'll create a paper trail because they like it. They'll respond back. And with that paper trail, when you have them, 
when HR has not done what they were supposed to do, you collected that, then you can go to EEOC. And I have about mm-hmm. two clients right now who are in litigation because their supervisors felt like it was comfortable to call them or their coworkers inward. Their coworkers, they um, supervisor felt like it was okay to look them clearly over for a promotion because they were black and give it to their white counterpart and told them as such. So I think, you know, for the most part in these all white spaces, they don't really understand when you go toe to toe to them with language, but they do understand when it is put in black and white, when their job or their paycheck or their ass is on the line. So something has to be on the line for them to really get the clear message in my experience. And then going back to what you say, you got I ask my clients all the time, how important is this job to you? Because it's clear that it's messing with your mental health, your physical health. What can we do to help you transition out to either starting your own thing or are you looking for another job? But staying here clearly is not the answer. So what can we do? And I just work with them for that. I really do because toxic yeah. work environment for a paycheck, I, I, I mean, I don't know what that sounds like. I don't know what that looks like. So I don't encourage it, but I do empower you to come up with the either or choice. But we know staying is not an option. Especially with black women being, and not even black women, men too, being well-degreed, well-educated, um, but the respect factor isn't there just because you are like the unicorn in the room when it's basically all of them. So it's kind of, they already look down upon you anyway. And if you're a supervisor or you have any type of quote unquote title or power, Oh, forget about it. You're going to be picked at it every instance because so-and-so got, got picked over for this position and you got it. Um, and, and that's what I, I try to empower them with. Um, I, I put on the, the, the podcast in that uh, previous work episode where your confidence, your competence affects your confidence. I mess it up every time I say it, <laughs> even in practice. Your confidence affects your competence mm-hmm. and your competence affects your mm-hmm. confidence. And with, 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 with black women specifically, I always have to remind them, yeah, that person at your job didn't like you and they made you felt like you wasn't doing your good job and they were trying to get you off your game. But that's because they were trying to get you off your game. Like we always are higher educated. We have more, we go yeah. harder, we do a lot more than they, than they do. And we get, we feel like we have less options and less resources. And part of that is just us not, not knowing that we can go just as far yes. and even farther yes. with, with, than they can with less yes. than they can too like some of us we don't need all of the things that we need like even even for, for me i when i graduated i was like i'm gonna get my dsw because i just feel like i need to be a doctor like i need to be doctor somebody and then i looked at the monies and I was like, the money don't pay it out. Like, I can make the same exact thing I'm making right now. <laughs> Am I right? Like, I know some doctors, and they're like, well, I still got to get my LCSW, so you're ahead of me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, if if if, if I got to go further just for the bragging rights, just for somebody to be like, oh, she's Dr. So-and-so, I might as well go get an honorary do- doctorate degree somewhere and just That's call true. it a day. 
rather than spend another 200, you know, $300,000 on an education to get my doctorate. Like it just doesn't make sense if I'm not going to teach, mm-hmm. or if I'm not going to do something with it, but we always feel like we have to show up and be better and be best and go harder. And, and those are not bad things, but sometimes that gets in the way of us actually being prepared already. Cause a lot of us are yep. already prepared for the vision that we have for our lives right now. And we don't need to read another book, not take another Mm-mm. training course, not speak to another Mm-mm. person, not get another mentor. We don't need to do anything, but get out of our own way, have faith and just pull it. And I want to say this too, whatever we go over the bar, when they raise it, guess what they do? They raise it again. They raise it again. So now you got this doctorate, and guess what? They raise it again. And it, and the reason why I'm pointing this out because it happened to me. I had my master's, and I was like, you know what? Okay, I want to teach. And then it was like, back then, you only needed your master's to teach. But then we started getting a higher education. We started adjuncts, and it was like, no, you need your doctorate. Okay, got my doctorate. Now you got your doctorate. Oh, well, you need to be published. You need to be in this and this. And it's like, it's always going to be another mark for them to be like, nope, you got to reach this and got to reach this one. So I had to dial back and I teach my clients this too. Where you at is enough. And if they can't accept you for where you are at with what you have, then you can take your show on the road. But you don't have to keep trying to jump through these imaginary ceilings or these hoops or these bars because you'll never reach it because the game keeps changing on purpose. So that you can't reach that level. And it's unfortunate. And even and then say you do get there. Say you do get there. It's not a good space to be because they're going to make you regret that you even got the promotion, the title, whatever that thing is that you're reaching towards. Yeah, yeah. it's such a it's such a very um I don't know. I think it goes back to what you said. You got to have that confidence and to know that whatever you thought out to build and do for yourself is enough. And once you accept that as such, I think whatever you're meant to do to be, to have in whatever space you're in, it'll come to you and it won't have to feel like it's a fight and like you're always defending something. Um, And I'm not trying to make it look like, you know, black women are, you know, the issue here, but I do want them to be able to feel empowered and confident within themselves that they're enough. They are enough. Yeah. Now, of course, if they're going in, in our um, field where you need to have the hours, like law, therapy, you know, medical school, things like that, that's something different. So that I can get. Yeah. And you got to do what you got to do in those environments. Yeah. That was that was me. I told that story a number of times. I was in an environment. It wasn't culturally competent. They didn't bother me, no one, really. But they could, they, they, in terms of like our culturally responsiveness to our clients, it wasn't a good work environment for me. And it wasn't a good place for me, period. Like I just wasn't a good fit for, you know, just for the workplace culture. Okay. Um, And they didn't uh-huh. like me. I didn't like them. I took my LCSW exam. They told me they don't believe I took my exam. Like I paid $400 to not take the right exam. They needed to see proof that I took the exam, which was none of their damn business. Like it was just a lot of like foolishness because I didn't need my LCSW to even be in that environment. Mm. environment. So why you need to see my test results 
is beyond me, right? Mm. But I didn't have anything to prove, and I definitely wasn't yeah. showing my, t- my test results. But I I got my LCSW to get another job interview and to go into private practice, and I got my results on a Wednesday. I interviewed on a Thursday. I I quit on a Friday. <laughs> And my therapist was like, when I told him where I was working, he was like, girl, I, he said, I, I worked there. I worked there probably before you were born. He was like, get what you need and get out of there. Wow. He said, get what you need and get out of there. So he, 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 I don't know. I'm so t- tapped into my therapist. I'm like, I worked where he worked. And it wasn't like he made a recommendation or whatever. It was just like, this is where I'm working. And he was like, what? Okay. But, um. You know, like, I don't have to explain anything to him culturally. And he's a, he's a white man, you guys. He's he's old and Jewish. <laughs> I say that every episode. But, um, you know, it, it was helpful to have somebody that was, was culturally responsive for me. And for me, I picked having a white therapist, which became a fear of mine as a black therapist. Mm. Because I wanted somebody who didn't look like me. Okay. Uh, t- to teach me privilege, like I didn't feel privileged as a black woman, and I felt like everybody around me thought the same, and so there was a limitation on like what my my achievement level was because that was kind of how it felt that everybody around me felt. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go to the most entitled person on the planet, and who is more entitled than God's chosen? I'll say it air quotes. <laughs> so. I got this therapist and he just thought differently, but he had clawed his way up from like poverty, uh, even though he was uh, a white guy. So it just made, it felt like I was able to kind of bond with him. Mm-hmm. And at that point, there weren't a lot of bl- other black clinicians that I could have even gone to if I wanted to. Exactly. I didn't want to go to a black clinician or somebody who I felt like over identified with me because even though you may be black, our stories don't have to be the same. No. And I don't want you dismissing my my black experience because it you think it's similar to your black experience. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want anybody else's black experience transposed onto me. Mm-hmm. But when I when I went to school, it became a narrative of mine, like, oh my God, what if what if people don't want to come to me because I'm a black therapist? What if black people don't want to come to me because I'm a black therapist? Because I didn't want to have a black therapist. And it wasn't that I didn't want to have a black therapist. I just wanted a completely different mindset. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I thought therapy was, but I kind of wanted I wanted to get insight, a different kind of insight from somebody who was just culturally different than me. Because nobody in my mind, I was like, nobody I want to I want to do impossible things and nobody is more entitled to feel like they deserve to do impossible things than a white guy. So I want to go to a white guy. Like, I want to see what that life is like. I get it. Like, that was like my mindset <laughs> at, at that time. But I was like, I, you know, I, this I've done the black thing. This is cute. But I want to <laughs> see what they're doing over here. <laughs> Like that was just kind of like my mindset. Oh. So when I decided that I wanted to be a therapist, I was like, oh my God, what if other black people feel like I I do? And there there are black people that was like, girl, I'm not coming to you. I don't, I don't, I don't do black people. And I was like, okay, I'm cool. I'll refer you out. <laughs> we find you some. It's, it's plenty of white people in here, girl. Oh, God. You know, so it, so I, I got it. You know, and I'm over, I'm over that. 
you know, and I thank God that I know so many amazing black clinicians and I've like immersed myself in, you know, practices where I've like been in awe. Like I know amazing clinicians of all kind, but just to, to be very proud of the work that we do as black people coming back to want to utilize our talents, skills and ability to heal our community is like amazing. So I appreciate people like you and everybody that comes to the show and all of the clinicians, clinicians that I follow and clinicians that do this work because our community needs us so much. Yeah, yeah. But I, I wanted to just make it okay, too, that people, when, especially people of color, one, go to therapy. Two, if you find that you are therapy shopping, that's so fine. That's therapist shopping, rather, that's fine. Because sometimes you may not have a connection with a therapist. So it's, it's okay if you go and seek out someone else. You don't have to be stuck with that one particular therapist that you are finding that there's not a connection. And I think that's a myth or a misnomer that um, people of color may have when seeking therapy. So I'm glad you brought that out to say, listen, I've tried a variety of therapists, but this is the one that actually works for me. Yeah, I had some some horrible white therapists in the past too, just because that's what I was offered. Right, exactly. But, yeah. But this one, you know, this this guy stuck with me and he go hard. And that's what I like about about him. And like I said, he understands not what it's like to be black in America, but he does understand how how it feels to be a minority in an environment where you know you're you're not the not part of the majority because growing up in the projects as a Jewish guy, oops, <laughs> that's something I want to do. <laughs> so I got you know he had his own struggles, but it's not the it's not the same. And so just being able to go to somebody who at least struggled uh-huh. in their life makes a lot of the difference because the things that I hear that white clinicians say to people. I'd be like, and, and, and you didn't jump over the table? You didn't run out the door? Like, wow. Like, so there's, some, there's some bad white therapists yeah. out there. Yeah, it is. But, you know, thank God that's not my experience. Yeah. Uh, previously, we talked about you having a child with special needs. What is one uh, piece of advice you would give a parent going through that only because as parents period it's very hard to feel like we can care for ourselves and so there's very much value in being able to find a space where there is care for the caregivers Mm -hmm. so in in terms of like self-care like what do you practice or what would you suggest to somebody who is going through that as well as just a difficult time parenting. Parenting is exhausting, period. Um, don't be afraid to join parenting groups. When I um when my son was early diagnosed, I joined um an autism for mothers group out in DC. I actually joined several of them, but there was one in particular where um it was older black women and it felt such like a community. Um, they embraced me. They had children who were very low functioning, some in wheelchairs. Some had to have, like, the actual speech boxes. Some parents had to actually, you know, 
uh, take care of their children who wear diapers. So I got to see like a wide variety of spectrum, if you will. And just hearing the stories of other parents who before me had started this journey, what it looked like for them. They were able to link me with resources if I had questions. Um, and then I went to another support group um, that was more, I would say, culturally, you know, different. So you had, it wasn't just all black women. It was white. It was Hispanic. Um, and so that was a little different in it, in itself because that kind of felt like a process group more where you were able to go in and kind of talk about your day or your struggles that you may be having or facing when it comes to being a parent, navigating resources where I kind of went to kind of like restart. And then um, I joined or got my kids signed up for like something that they call like special sports or activities for children who are on a spectrum. So he would do flag football on the weekends with other kids that were on a spectrum or had other disabilities, uh, whether they were physical or intellectual. And so again, so I'm in another community. So I joined different communities that was a relief, not only for me, but for him. So he could, again, um, not just be around school children. He was never ever in a special ed class because again, he's high functioning, but I still wanted to provide some type of normalcy for him and for myself and get the help and resources. So that was what really helped me the most therapy and putting yourself in support groups with other women and or families who are going through the same thing that could really, really support you, uplift you, help you through the process, because it's hard to navigate alone. Yeah. Yep. It is. So I think, tell the people about your book. Oh, okay. So, uh, I would say what, June, no, July of this year, I published a workbook called It's Time to Talk About Trauma. You can buy it off my website at lifefirsttherapy.com. Um, that's the name of my private practice, Life First Therapy. And so the workbook is basically for people who... LifeFirstTherapy.com. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And that's also my handle on Instagram and Facebook. But the um, workbook basically was created out of the strength of people who are saying, you know, I've never been to therapy. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Or I know I'm having some issues, but... How do I go about doing this therapy thing? So that workbook is kind of like bridging the gap for those persons who are like trying to figure it out, but just don't really know how to navigate it just yet. Um, And so in this workbook, as you know, I have a safety plan plan for people or uh, if if you are a parent who you feel like your child may at risk of some risky behaviors that um, are not good for them. So that could be cutting, overusing substances, being promiscuous, um, or even a safety plan for an adult because I've met adults who say, well, they have a a cared loved one that they care for who is at risk of harming themselves because they tried to commit suicide before. But besides the safety plan, I have had a um, self-assess for workplace burnout, um, depression. Um, I have a resource guide in there for people who are looking to find therapists but don't know how to go about looking for therapists. And then there's a script that you can ask them different questions to see if it's a clinical fit for you. And if you want to move forward with that therapist, there's journal prompts in there for people to kind of check their um, rationale or irrational thinking and their behaviors, how to identify triggers. But it's just chalked with so much information that people could um, skip around in, go to certain parts, and then when they're ready to go to therapy, they should take the workbook with them so that they can say, hey, this is what I started to navigate or work through or, or would like to work through and process with you while I'm in session. 
Okay. Yeah. And what I like about the book is is it's it's what we in the business call psychoeducational. Okay. And all that means in layman's terms <laughs> is that it explains <laughs> it explains different diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So for, even for people if you are not diagnosed but you have a family member who is diagnosed, I think it's really helpful to be able to kind of like utilize the workbook to process not only your feelings, but to kind of give you a little bit of insight of some of the the things that you and a family member would expect or could expect, you know, if you're diving into that mental health, Mm -hmm. mental wellness journey. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I like this. I like this book. Like it's not super heavy, super light. It was like the perfect mix of like explaining to people what, uh, what what you need to know if you are starting out you're on your mental health yep. wellness journey. That's exactly it. You are so correct. If you're starting out, here it is. It's, this is kind of like the, the little map to get you going. You know, once you get to therapy, then you can unpack every single bag that you pack for this journey because I'm pretty sure you're going to come with some stuff. But that's okay. That is okay because yeah. that's what your therapist is there for. Okay, so... Uh, where's your practice? I know you said Philly. Yes. Like, and they could just contact you through the website if they need an appointment, and that's it? Yeah, so I'm located in Mount Airy, which is uh, a part of uh, a little area in Philadelphia, the Mount Airy area. And if people are interested in a phone consultation to see if we're a clinical fit, they can go to my website and sign up for a consultation call. And that's really much it. We'll go from there. Okay. Okay. Now, do you do supervision? Because I think I tagged you in something yesterday. Somebody was like, they needed guidance in Philly. And I was like, connect with Holly. Um, I didn't get the tag, but yeah, I do supervision. I, I totally am. I am gearing up to actually do group supervision, but I do individuals in the between time, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. All right. So thank you. Well, thank you because you are just super amazing. And I love what you are doing with the podcast and your, and let me tell you your pot. And this is, I wrote this, but I want to share this with your audience. The reason why, first of all, let me just be clear and blunt. I am not a podcast person because for me, it's just longer than like 20 minutes. I like just lose interest, but I will say I don't do that with your podcast. You keep me laughing. You keep me entertained in a good educational way. You have topics that are like, wait a minute. Yo, how do I deal with that family member? Like, yo, how does that work if I want to cut this person off or reconnect over something that happened maybe 10, 20 years ago? Like, these are things that I think I have conversations with to my friends and to myself, and they're just so down to earth. And not over, I would say, like, my head. And they just make me feel so comfortable. So I just want to say thank you for such a down-to-earth podcast that is really impactful. And I and I just really appreciate it. Thank you. It, it gets... This is a weird journey for me. Okay. Um, I don't think a lot of people know that I... You know, my my undergraduate is in communications. And so this is kind of, I feel like, and I tell my my clients all the time when they're going through those journeys with, with, um, you know, in the work environment. And I let them know, like, I feel like all of the careers that I had was God preparing me for what I'm supposed to do now. Mm -hmm. 
because I worked in communications. You know, I I, I taught. I actually did hair for a while. Like all of my careers, <laughs> I did public relations. Like all of my careers, basically, you know. Uh, and and I did I I was a journalist as well. So like all of my careers, it kind of prepared me for this. But this is the most transparent thing I've ever done. And it's very, it gets very lonely just kind of speaking into a mic in, in, you know, your kid's room. That's how I started out in my son's room when he went to, when he went off to school. And so you never know how it's going to land Mm. being so real. And so I really appreciate you. And, and when other people tell me that, because these are conversations that I'm having in my head, I'm just saying them out. Okay. Okay. But they're good, but they're good conversations. And I think you being so bold, maybe it's the New Yorker in you, I don't know, but I just say that these are spaces that a lot of people just don't embark on. And I just love your boldness and be like, no, this is some real shit that I have on my head. And guess what? We're speaking it, but we ain't, we're not podcasting it. And so that's, I think that's another reason why I resonate not only with you as just a person, because you're just awesome, but your podcast. Because it's like, y'all, we thinking this, and we really don't know how to navigate a lot of this stuff that all of your podcasts have touched on. Not just one episode, honey. All your Every time I look at her episode, I'm like, God damn, how the hell? <laughs> I'm like, where'd she get this from? But I get it. These are conversations that you're having that I promise you we're having. But we're not to navigate them. We're just having a conversation with our auntie or our cousin about the person we need to be having a conversation with. Yeah. So I just thank you for all you do. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. you. Well, okay. You said it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but for sure, I, I appreciate I appreciate you. And when and I, I come back up, I'm going to look you up. I'm going to tag you and let you know because we miss each other when you came down. But I'm going to look you up. Well, when I came down, there wasn't time to do anything else but what I came down there for. Oh. However, I will be back. Okay. And that's all we will say about that. Okay, sure. Sure. And it was <laughs> it was messy that day too. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. It was the weather it was. was bad. It, it was bad. It stunk. Yeah, it did. Yeah, but I, I have I have more reasons to come more often now and we'll just leave it at that. Okay. The audience Good. is like, what the hell are they talking about? But you you and I get it. No, I no, I totally get it. And um yeah, we will definitely have to hook up and do lunch, uh, dinner or okay. something. Yeah, you know what? Actually some lady in the store told me that there's a there's a grocery store in in South Philly. Okay. Is it, is it maybe it's West Philly? I think it's West Philly because when she said it, I was thinking of Fresh Prince. That they sell the best sweet potato pie, okay, in Philly, and like the line is out the block. So I'm like on a quest to find this place. Okay. So yeah, I'll be around. Sure, sounds good to me. I'm a foodie and I'm I'm a fatty, and it's another reason why I I like Chicago because. <laughs> Well, I like to eat. Shout out to Batters and Berries. <laughs> so, listen. Have you been? No, but I'm always open for new food, <sighs> new desserts, new restaurants. I'm always open. If you go home, go to Batters and Berries. I will. I go Chicago. home every July. I will. And I'm going to text you go like, to hey. Batters and Berries. I will. It's, it's black owned, guys. So if you're listening, Batters and Berries. But, yo. 
they they have a sweet potato uh a sweet potato what is it waffle man oh jesus let me get out let me let me go oh okay honey well yeah they have they have a plethora of like they have a waffle platter girl wow that's so their breakfast their brunches i'm i'm telling you i like us what is a sweet potato waffle but yeah yeah that sounds really different that's only one. They had four different kinds. Like I've never had four different kind of waffles in my life, and they played it and tell you what to, what to, how to pair it. Wow! Like you, it, it comes a sweet potato waffle comes with chicken. That's your chicken and waffles, but you cannot use syrup. So what do you use? You eat it just like that. Oh wow! Did I tell you? They will not give you syrup. They will tell you no. It doesn't come with syrup. Wow. So it, now it that has to be good. If you can eat a waffle without syrup. With syrup. Yeah, they plate their food. They tell you they they tell you how to eat it. And that you're not getting a substitution. Wow. Well, if you can eat a waffle without syrup, then I'm sold. I'm totally sold. I appreciate that. I would definitely look them up when I go back home in July. And I'll look you up as soon as I touch back down up to New York, honey. Well, you got my number. You got my number. I see you have my number. Yeah, I do. I sure will. I would touch bases, <laughs> honey. Yes. And come and chill and kick it. Eat some good food up around your way. Yep. All right. Well, All right, guys. Have this a good is like going on, going on. <laughs> it's been another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Okay, guys, so once again, we want to thank Dr. Holly Sawyer for coming on the show and blessing us with this episode. I I, I do like having, I've said this before, I do like having guests come on the podcast. It's a, a wonderful mix for me to hear what other people think about the show and just to kind of have them on and see what our dynamic is. I like it even more, honestly, if I know the clinician or if it's somebody that I've interacted with online or if it's somebody that I know. So if you're looking to get on the show and you've interacted with me a little bit more, it makes it a little bit easier for me to know if you you and I will judge, if we'll gel, if we'll mix together like macaroni and cheese. And so, you know, I, I do like having more guests. It is my intention to have more guests. But to me, it is a, it's a lot of work production-wise in, in order to do it. And so if you have reached out to me to be on the show, I'm going to get everybody who has reached out to me to be on the show as production increases or the production schedule goes on. And if you haven't joined our mailing list yet, you might want to hurry up and do it because I'm offering up some free and low cost coaching sessions. So the best way to get the low cost coaching sessions are the free stuff. I mean, they're not going to be low cost forever because I got, you know, light bill, but (laughs) Christmas is coming up. But right now I'm doing a series of sessions that will be, you know, a hundred dollars at the most probably under a hundred dollars they're going to be group coaching things um they're going to definitely be under a hundred dollars for the first few weeks that i do them and this one this week is free so if you want to get information about that one i think we have maybe a few slots left i 
I kept it very intimate because we're going to be talking about your actual business ideas. I want to get feedback from you guys live. My goal is to have people come on there that are going to be live and going to actually get some actionable steps from the workshop like I don't want to just do like a pre-recorded workshop that I could just you know tell you why I'm so great and why you should work with me I really want to work with people and get live feedback because that's the reason that I'm doing it and that's the reason that it's free and that's the reason that it's low cost but it won't be that way for long um once I refine what I'm going to refine and tweak what I want to tweak um (laughs) it's gonna it's the course is gonna go up because I know when it comes to coaching and when it comes to like doing the the business end of it, and this is strictly business coaching. It's not really life coaching per se. It's not really, you know, relationship coaching, like business coaching stuff. I'm very, very quick and I can't be this quick in therapy sessions because it's a different, you know, therapy and coaching are cousins. They're not, they, they're not siblings. They are not twins. They're cousins. And so, you know, I get to kind of utilize my skills and my, and my skill sets in a different way to, to bring clarity to someone's business idea. And like I said, my goal is to start this week to move people from concept to completion in their business goals for 2020 and beyond. Okay. Okay. You've listened to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Be well. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your host, me, Miss M-S-N-I-K-I, thanks, on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A. Banks.com and on the show's website, blacktherapistpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you want to send us any general feedback, show suggestions, uh, show topics, or guest ideas, please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Be well.